and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. My name is Gregory Robinson. And I'm Nicole Poznov. And today we are here with Matt Meehan. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to GradCast, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you are in your PhD? Yes, I am. What, uh, what are you studying? Uh, I'm in the biology department here at Western uh, to do my PhD, studying uh, soil mites and soil ecology, predator-prey dynamics, stuff like that. Awesome. And where did you do your bachelor and master's? I actually did my undergraduate degree uh, here at Western. I initially started off out at King's College doing a psychology degree, realizing that it wasn't uh, my passion. I made the switch to main campus and started doing some science courses and kind of really fell in love with ecology. And then, um, yeah, I did a degree here in ecology where I started to learn about uh, mites uh, with now my current PhD supervisor, Zoe Lindo. And I liked it so much, I was like, you know what, I kind of want to do a master's. And so I went to uh, Google, I typed in Canyon University mites. <laughs> and it's not the you know most uh, commonly studied organism or field. So I didn't get uh, many hits, if you will. But then there was a prof out in Alberta, uh, Heather Proctor, who fit the description well. So I sent her an email, and then we had like one phone conversation. And that's pretty much all she wrote there. <laughs> so... And then I uh, came back here, did the PhD. And how how do you like Alberta compared to Western? Uh, Alberta is uh, it's well Edmonton in particular. It's I like the city quite a bit. It's got a lot of uh, kind of natural areas. It's got a trail that runs directly through the city. I did a lot of running there, and I started doing triathlons there actually. So it was really good for that. There was uh, a lake nearby. I can go do some swimming in like forty five minutes near. I wouldn't like not in Edmonton per se, but it's really good. It's cold. Yeah. Probably the first thing you notice in the summer is it just never seems to, like, go to night. It's like 1030 and still bright out. And it's crazy. <laughs> and then in winter, you're just dying for sunlight <laughs> because it's just it's, it's just really short. So that's the big difference there. But Edmonton as a whole, I thought was really good. Um, I didn't get to see the Oilers play. That was a no. regret there. No, I couldn't see Connor McDavid just do its thing. Do you guys, uh, I know you guys, Edmonton and Calgary, they don't get along. Did you have a little, little hate there or you didn't care too much? Uh, I didn't really care not being from yeah. Alberta, but it was it was definitely, there's a, a, a real rivalry there. And whenever you ask somebody who is not from, like not born and raised in Calgary, Edmonton, which one they like better, yeah. there's always an opinion. It could sometimes lead to an argument. I will say, I think i prefer edmonton over calgary i also live there so i know the city better so maybe if i spend yeah. more time in calgary it's only there briefly for two times but yeah okay and then uh what made you come back to uh to western to find uh, your current pi um well i knew i kind of wanted to study in the same field that i'd done in my master's i really i don't want to say fell in love but i really enjoyed the uh my study organism my study topic and i didn't really want to do a switch and i kind of mentioned before it's not you know, mites as a whole aren't widely studied, and so I didn't know many people. I tried searching around, sent a few profs, a few di- or sent a few emails to a few different profs. Couldn't really find a great fit, and I, I emailed my uh, what was my undergrad supervisor again to see if she'd be interested in having me enter her lab as a PhD student, and she was. And we had a Skype call and a few emails back and forth, and I was able to start here uh, January 2018. Nice, good to be back. Yeah, it was. Uh, I took the train ride in on January in January, and it was snowing like crazy. Wow. 
Classic London. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was really bad, and I was kind of I was took the took a taxi f- down Richmond uh, from the train station to like my was my apartment at the time, and it was kind of funny rem- reminiscing about certain places you remember, uh, but then other places that were new. So kind of a little old and new there. I only been gone for like three years, but there were still you know things that changed. Yeah. So now I currently work with mice, and yes. I know people that like working with rats. I don't. To be honest, I'm not a big my, uh, mice fan, but a lot of people I know will want to work with like guinea pigs. What uh, what made you decide mites? That's an unusual choice. I yeah, think. I can't say it's the most commonly studied one. If you're thinking insects or something like bees are really big. Yeah, Drosophila. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know anybody that studies that though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, deterrence as a whole, but uh, honestly, I well, okay, so it's. I took a course uh, with Zoe in my third year that I really liked. It was community ecology, and that was kind of the course that solidified, like, I want to be an ecologist. Okay. And, and Zoe is your supervisor? Yes. Current supervisor was my undergrad supervisor. So when you, when you study ecology, what are, like, the options to look at? Like, what? I mean, it's like a... Like, is there many, I'm assuming? Yeah, because, you know, ecology is the same level as, like, physiology, right? So yeah. it's like, you know, you can do you anywhere, almost... Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I really wanted to do an honors thesis project with her. And I said, I didn't really care what I did, plants or otherwise, just wanted to to work with her. And so I came to an idea about a project with, like, disturbance to see how organisms recolonize and all this. And she says, I love it. And I go, great. We're going to do this with mites. And I said, sure. <laughs> and I walked out there being like, I got the honors project I want with the supervisor I wanted. And I remember calling my dad saying, got the honors project. He's like, great i'm going to study mites and he's like cool what are those and i realized i had no idea i said they were like they're like, eh, like bugs you know what i mean like a, a nice bug and or like insects and uh yeah and i pretty much uh, yeah that's how i got started kind so of randomly what if you will. are mites yeah that's a good question what are mites uh mites are arachnids meaning they're closely related to spiders and scorpions they got eight legs um and there's really kind of two main lineages of mites. Okay. Uh, there's a group called Acariformes, which are the uh, mite-like mites, and the Parasiformes are the tick-like mites. Sorry, did you say mite-like mites? Yes, okay. because there's kind of ones that look more like mites. The other side looks kind of more like ticks. Okay. I feel like even though they're all mites. Yes, they're yeah. all mites. Okay. So yeah, so the group they're in is called uh, Acari, and it's groups all mites and ticks together. And within that group, there's kind of like two main subgroups, if you will. Yeah. And so, yeah. I never knew that ticks and mites are basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, all ticks are mites, but not all mites are ticks type of deal. Interesting. And so it's so people actually know of mites quite well because of ticks or examples, dust mites. Um, actually, most people wouldn't, I guess, know that ticks are mites. But whenever I say I study mites, oh, like, um, like dust mites. And they go, uh, yeah. No, not really. But, you know, they're close enough in a sense to then describe what I study more. So do you study the mite-like mites or the tick-like mites or, I st- or both? I study mostly the tick-like mites. The tick-like mites. So they're, okay. the group I study are relatively closely related to ticks. Okay. And are you ever afraid that they're going to bite you? No, but they're really small and they're only, you know, the mites I work with are less than a millimeter in size. Oh, wow. That's pretty small. So, Can yeah. they bite? Could they bite? Yeah. I don't think you would feel it. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, you have mites living in your eyebrows that you don't notice that are really, really small. Wait, is that an actual thing? Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, there's mites like all over you. It's just, it's kind of, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at my hands. Just somebody's it's curious. terrifying. Can't look, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's one of those. But like it's it's beneficial to us. It's not. Necessarily yeah, bad. but it's also one of those things where if you don't notice them before, you get told this new information. It's like kind of gross, but then you forget about it five yeah. seconds later, being like, ah, oh, well, I guess that's just eyebrows a little yeah. itchy. That's just the nature of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you can't feel on your hand because I have had a mite crawl in my hand, and it's definitely very, very tiny. And you kind of go, oh, it kind of tickles a little bit, and you're like, that's what it is. And then you try to. Are mites poisonous? Uh, no, mites aren't poisonous. Some can carry like ticks, can carry like viruses, like Lyme disease and whatnot. Um, but the mites I study are what we call free living predators, and so they're not parasitic. Okay. Um, they just like to consume other organisms, their prey, if you will. So, so they don't carry anything themselves. Uh, the mic, the mic group that I study, not that I know of, but could there be one paper out there from the seventies that proves me wrong? Yeah. I guess so, but yeah, anything's possible. Yeah. But how would so like have you ever watched like a mite eat another insect? Then I have. It is. Uh, it's really. Uh, it's really fascinating. So I was very fortunate to watch it live only a few days ago. You watched it live? Live. Like, I, I was underneath the microscope nice. and I was able to, like, watch it. I should have recorded it with my iPhone. Mm-hmm. It would have been, like, a recording of a microscope watching this. It would have been very <laughs> shaky cam footage, if you will. Yeah. But so the micro group I study, which are um, mesostigmatic mites, um, are fluid feeders. And so they attack their prey with their chelicerae. Which are... Which, you're, they're like, you know, like almost like an extra pair of legs, if you will, that can kind of latch onto something to give it a nice grip, like little claws. Okay. Okay. And it's like, actually, chelicerae on these organisms look like little claws. How many do they have? Two. They have two? Okay. Assuming one hasn't fallen off. Do they <laughs> fall off? <laughs> ah! I saw one, unfortunately, it might, with, with missing a leg. I don't know how that happened. So, I mean, I guess anything's possible. Yeah. But, <laughs> Interesting. Um, and so they grip onto their prey and they're fluid feeders. And essentially, they pre-orally digest their prey so they can suck it up. And yeah, so it's they, really they interesting. Re- release some enzymes on them or something. And something like that. Yeah. Suck them up. Yeah. Like, interesting. I tried to actually like, I want to say Google, but I tried to find papers that did more about it. But I don't think there's a ton of research into what yeah. enzymes mites are releasing to pre-orally digest their prey. And but from as far as I'm aware, there's not too much research in mites in general. It's a, it's a very niche field. Um, you know, the mite community is a uh, you know. It's it's very nice, a lot of great people, a lot of great researchers, but it's definitely, you know, it's not the Drosophila community, if you will, where you can have an entire conference of just people who study Drosophila. There was an entire room of people who studied mites in North America. Or not North America, but like Canada and the U.S. Uh, and some people from Mexico. And there was... So North America? Yeah, but like not like, it wasn't like all of them. But anyways, yeah, okay. there was um, only like 50 to like 70 people. And I'm sure and you have entire conferences of just Drosophila yeah. of like, you know, hundreds oh, yeah. upon hundreds. So. so how many different types of mites are there? Um, there's 50,000 wow. described species, which is important to note because the true estimates lie within 500,000 species to 1 million. Okay. And where can they be found? You know, pretty much everywhere. You know, they can be found in soil, which is where I predominantly study them. They're f- commonly found in nests for birds. They're found on the feathers of birds. Hmm. They're found in animals' fur. They could be found on tops of trees. Their geography spans the globe. There's been a couple of people who have studied Antarctic mites quite frequently, quite readily. Um, they're really found everywhere, but there's not, they're found in water, aquatic mites. Wow. So they're pretty much everywhere then. Yeah. Would yeah. you consider them extremophiles? 
Probably not because I don't think they can survive in a hundred degree, yeah. you know, temperatures. But they so they're probably not on like planets. No, elsewhere. If they were, my God, that'd be I think that'd be cool. <laughs> that'd be cool. Like, forget you even might just having <laughs> animal on another planet would be something else. But they're just one of those organisms that they do so much. They do so many different things, but you haven't really heard of them unless you consider dust mites. Yeah. And so they're really understudied, which makes them cool to study because you, you're always adding you know, knowledge to what's currently known was sometimes frustrating and challenging because you kind of wish you knew just a little bit more. Like, for example, was what type of enzymes do the mites release to purely digest their food? I don't think anybody's even tried to look at that. It'd be fascinating. So there's so much that you you could look into. Exactly. It's almost like a whole lifetime ahead of you looking into Hopefully, hopefully, you know, Uh, but, you know, I I really enjoy them. I think they're they're fascinating group to study. And uh, yeah, it's always, they're, it's like a it's a head scratcher or a head turner whenever you tell people you study mites because uh it's just not it's not commonly done so always always follow-up questions if you will to why it's very unique yes maybe ask a wolf person why they study wolves it's like oh i get it they're cool they're They're, yeah why do you study mites it's just like uh, or like you study mites why and then it leads into like a whole whole story (laughs) so what specifically about mites do you study so i study uh predator mites um, and basically kind of like the overall question of my PhD research is to see how predator communities change under climate warming, or so increasing temperatures. And so I'm using uh, my mite group uh, as predators to see how predator communities change. So they're like a model organism. And so with that comes their community composition, so what species are present. It could be the traits that are present within these communities. So it could be their body size or their feeding preferences or their feeding strategies. Um, but also within that more is kind of, you know, why are predators changing? You know, why, why are their communities are changing? You know, what are they, you know, what decisions are they making to feed on different organisms? Or are they just simply feeding more? Is it a combination of the two? To kind of better understand the changes that predators will have at the community level by using this model organism. And what do they use as their prey? Um, they use a wide variety of different organisms, nematodes, uh, springtails, uh, which are insect-like fauna. They're hexapods, which means they have six legs, but they're not exactly insects. They'll eat other mites. Really? They'll eat their juveniles, so they can be cannibalistic mm. at times. They're really, you, most of them are really general. You know, they see food, they eat it, and they go about their day. And so, yeah, pretty much anything they get their hands on, they'll just go and eat. That's so why does changing the temperature, how would that affect their, pr- how they act as predators or what they eat? Well, if you look at the individual level, um, temperatures dictate, as an ectotherm, their metabolic rates. And so as temperatures increase, their metabolic rate increases. And when that happens, you need to consume more food, or at least would likely need to consume more calories in kind of a broader sense. Yeah. So when you said ectotherm, what, what does that mean? It means they don't... Uh, regulate their body temperature they rely on external temperatures to do so so humans are endotherms or homeotherms that we regulate our own body temperature ectotherms rely on the external temperature to do so so ectotherms um metabolic rates are kind of like the driver of everything is directly linked to temperature so temperature goes up Hmm. metabolic rates then uh, goes up. And so just, on, again, at the individual level, your temperature goes up, your metabolic rate goes up, you need more calories. But it gets even more complex when you're considering it's not just an individual making a decision. 
It's an individual part of a population, part of a community making these decisions. And all these individuals can be making slightly different decisions or the same decisions, or these could be species specific or so on and so forth. And so it's a very, it can be very challenging to, to look at it, but it makes it interesting. So you actually modulate then the temperature. And yes. Is there specific outcomes that you're looking at other than predator prey? In probably the most broad sense is how predator communities are changing. So doing some rather classic morphological taxonomy to see how communities are changing. Um, are the traits within these communities changing? Again, body size or you know uh, feeding preference, if you will. Yeah. And to kind of go further down is to see why these predators are making uh, or potentially changing their feeding behavior under warming. And so to make it a community, if you really have to have more than one predator, and that's where you have a little more access to, to using a variety of different predator mite species than you would with other organisms. Yeah. So now you've said that there's also mites in like Antarctica. So yeah. are you potentially looking at maybe making it colder and seeing what happens then? You could, you could definitely do that. That's not the focus of my PhD is planning to go warmer, but I guess colder is relative. You know, if yeah. you take an organisms that, you know, they're kind of, their regular body temperature is 20. 16 is not really cold, but it's definitely colder versus 24 being warmer. Yeah. And so... So, so these are different mites then that are in Antarctica compared yeah. to... Yeah. Well... They, they could be. Would so, they survive here and vice versa? There are a couple, I can't think of uh, the microbiology study species, but there are a couple... Uh, or about it might species that are cosmopolitan found globally in which um, you would maybe find some Antarctica. At the very least, you would find the same families present here that you would find Antarctica. Okay. So maybe not the exact same species, but very, very similar ones. And your species are from where exactly? My species, so my um, have that type I look at are boreal peatlands, and this is located in uh, northern Ontario. What are peatlands? Peatlands are a type of wetlands, and peatlands kind of go on a, a spectrum. Wetlands, a whole, go on a spectrum, and can be very uh, uh, complex, if you will, in how these nutrient status changes and whatnot. But basically, peat as a whole is partially decomposed uh, matter, so it's like kind of like living matter. Okay. And I study organisms that lie within that peat. So you actually go somewhere and collect yes. the soil yourself and then bring it back? Uh, yeah, for some, for some of them I will be. Other ones, have, I'm using data sets that have been previously collected. I wasn't the one physically doing it, but other people have taken peat from that area. And then just cultures of them. That you're yeah, using. or just like samples of them that bring it back and then we extract them and then we do what we need to do. Hmm. Awesome. So what does your project look like? Like, how, What's the scale that you're working with? Scale being geographic scale? Yeah, or like how many mites do you have that you are looking at at a time? Or Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So how many are in a community? How many are in a community? Yeah. Almost impossible because every community is slightly different. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're different <laughs> um, because Species dependent when you're dealing with soil fauna as a whole, so mites or anything, you get different communities being meters apart. So the, you know, a mite's world is within, you know, the palm of my hand, which is not very large for an audience <laughs> out there. It's very small. And so you get vastly different communities being rather close together. So when you think of wolves or any larger organism, you know, dealing at a kilometer scale, here we're really dealing on a much smaller one. But um, 
ask how many you'll get. It does vary. Some habitat types you'll get more than others. So there will be difference between agricultural habitats versus temperate forest habitats or boreal forest habitats in terms of the species you find or the abundances and uh, so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, so I've, what is for my masters? I've seen like zero, I guess at the time, I've seen one or two. Um, other ones, you know, 50, 60, 70 easily. Like you'll just get like 30, 40 of the same species. Yeah. And I had to slide mount every single one <laughs> to make sure I can do it. So <laughs> identify them. So. so then you have multiple communities that you're looking at, though. Yes. So it could be quite a, a large amount of. Yeah. Those. So multiple communities, though, they're all from the same habitat type. I take multiple samples. Yeah. But even samples, again, being only meters apart, you can get, you know, similar communities, but still slightly different. You're not getting like the exact same replicas you do here as what you get over there. You get different, slightly, maybe one or two new species or one or two different species. The abundances could change, so on and so forth. And how do you keep track of all that? Don't, do mites look similar or are they all different? You know, when you first start out doing this type of work, they all look the same. Then once you start doing it more and more, you start to see more differences to kind of tell species apart. Got to keep uh, a lot of good pictures and a lot of good notes. I kind of learned, uh, don't think you can remember all the details because you definitely can't. Mm -hmm. Take detailed notes and take great pictures because it'll help you down the line. I'm like, how many different species are you, do you look at then? Well, it, it depends on the project, but in my master's, I identified over 100 species and uh, morpho species, so kind of undescribed species there. So, so if we took one of each of these hundred species and threw them in front of you, could you name them? I could probably go to genus pretty well, because, but species, no, because some of them are like Dendrolelap Spus 7. And now it's been a couple <laughs> years, and so I don't think I remember Dendrolelap Spus 7 versus Dendrolelap Spus 3. So, okay. yeah. so what do they look like? Yeah. You know, the mite group I study, they tend to be like rectangular, and some of them are rectangular in shape, some are more like subcircular like oval shape people I guess can't be subcircular but oval shape some can be really f like just fat and large others can be triangles others can um what's the largest mite you've seen uh that would be or heard of largest mite from my group I study uh, is like a couple millimeters in size it's from a family it's a tropical family and I can't it's like mega something like literally that's so, in, that's yeah. in the name just to kind of just say pretty small it's huge oh it's mite, it's all right? relative like, like I, yeah. I've told people that every time I think I find a large mite it's in, it's in the microscope so as soon as I go like this and kind of just veer away I'm like oh I can't even see it so it's pretty small <laughs> but yeah the largest mite that I've personally have seen is about a millimeter in size yeah so this is a, this is a pretty mighty mite <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> no call it there. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. So Just like probably like ten of those could fit on a dime, eh? Yeah, I think that's and that's how I like to describe to people. Uh, you know, kind I of stole the size your joke. Of it. I'm yeah, sorry. that's I stole all right. Your joke. I wouldn't say when you've heard it a hundred times and said it a few times yourself. I don't know. It was long a joke. Anyways, okay. If you yeah, so a good way to actually show people is I have a picture to show people how large these mites are, and I put a mite in the center of a, a Canadian dime in case I'm showing to an international audience, if you will. And you know, it looks like a a speck. Like if you didn't know it was a mite, you think it was just some orange flake on there you want to brush off. But no, it's a mite, and so you can probably fit about ten across. And the mite I specifically for this picture put on is, is a large, large bodied one to kind of represent that. And you'll get mites that are 
you know, half the size back then one was like 700 micrometers or yeah. 0.7 millimeters. Big boy. Relatively, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's I somebody I was at a conference and somebody said, and I think this is true, was if you had if a mite was the size of a little chihuahua, it'd be the most terrifying thing ever because it just it looks scary. It's a scary looking organism. Yeah. Just happens to be really small. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, it was just any size dog, they would just they would be yeah, they're they're pretty like when I saw it feed, it's pretty medicine. Like they just really chop down and wow. get to business. And are oh. they all orange? Oh sorry. <laughs> Um, some of them can be pale, pale in color, um, more white and translucent. Others can be, uh, you know, yellow to orange. Even some like looks like red, or batted mites, which are also found in soil. Sorry, batted mites. Or abatted. Or or abatted. Or abatted mites. Yeah. Interesting. Um, they are, uh, they're they're part of the mite like mites. Oh really? Okay. They're not tick like they're mite like mites. Do you have a favorite mite like mites or tick like mites? Oh, definitely. I say tick like mites, so I gotta so say tick like mites. But tick-like mites. Um, they their colors will span a lot more in the sense that you can go from translucent, you know, kind of a white this yellow to black, and so you will see you won't see any greens or anything like that, but you definitely s- see kind of changing colors. We have like multicolored ones. Um, some aquatic mites could be definitely multicolored. There's they're very, uh, yeah. Do you have a favorite mite? Favorite mite. Yeah, I, I do, which is that that's probably not good. I I do probably. <laughs> eh? There's probably one that uh, it's Parazircon radiatus, and it's say that again. Parazircon, <laughs> Parazircon radiatus. It's a uh, zirconid mite, which means it's from the family Zirconidae. Can you spell it? Like you the, don't. You don't have to. Which I'm part? Just which part? The whole thing. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. I don't. Yeah. I just guess the so. word is impressive. It's just it's a lot of Latin. That's all it is is Latin. I, well, I I'm not I mean, I'm great at pronouncing Latin. In front of my old supervisor, I'd be like, oh, it's this family. She'd be like, you're that's not even close. <laughs> and she had to correct me a lot, which is fine. But uh, yeah, it's it, pro- it was definitely the most common mite found in my masters, and it just okay. became a mite that I could, without even really needing a like compound scope to get real close, and dissecting scopes. I still need microscopes. My eyes aren't that good. I could kind of pick it off. It's got a very somewhat unique uh pattern for little hairs on its body or ct so you, it's very it's very you like yeah so so, wh- so why is it your favorite though oh i just i s- saw the most often and the mites yeah. okay. uh, from that family are really they're just they're good looking mites gotcha <laughs> you like hairy mites <laughs> i yes so i do <laughs> <laughs> so we're almost at the end of the show here uh if you had to sum up the results of your research your, yeah, the results of your research and maybe any big things that you found that you're willing to say. What what would the... I'm still kind of in the beginning, yeah. so I can't say I have tons of findings, but I would say that just because they're smaller organisms doesn't mean they're not important. You know, okay. it's really is this, you know, it's the small things that run the world. It's stuff that you, you don't see with your eye yeah. that can make a big difference. And they are changing with climate change. Yeah. And we are seeing big differences to their habitat. We're seeing di- differences to their communities. And, you know, and, and it's important to write about it, to study it, to publish it so people know the importance and how they're changing communities or populations uh, you know, the consequences of that and such. And that can be directly compared to us as well, humans? You know, it'd have to be a little bit of a, a farther link, but mites or soil f- soil fauna or soil animals as a whole are important 
in soils and anytime those uh, animals are changing you know soil or nutrient cycling changes because of it which then can mm -hmm. be nutrient cycling changes and then can be linked all the way back to humans very indirectly but still rather important so you believe global warming is bad i can't say it's good <laughs> <laughs> well anyways thank you so much for coming on the show if anybody wants to learn more about uh, your research or get in contact with you is there a way they could do that I have a couple of papers out there. If you Google Matthew Me and Mites, you're probably going to get me first link. So you can definitely find out more about what I've done and what I plan to do. Awesome. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. Uh, if you would like to listen to us, we're on CHRW 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Also, you can listen to us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alternatively, select podcasts have been recorded and put on YouTube at GradCast Radio. Uh, this episode was with our guest, Matt Meehan, and was hosted by myself, Gregory Robinson, and... Nicole Posnow. This was produced by myself as well, as well as uh, Roger Hudson. Thanks for listening and have a great night. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.